Hello. No, I, I was supposed to do the introduction. <laughs> okay. Okay. But tell me when you're ready. I'm ready. Okay. Welcome back to another episode of Why Are You Making It So Weird? Thanks for watching. Please don't subscribe. It makes Michael upset. Um, okay. What do you want to start talking about? Do you have a topic that's well, burning? Well, we have a few topics. Yes. Death and dying is one of them. Are you excited? I have no idea where this one is going, but this is one you, you specially curated for this episode. Well, Jacob recommended that we talk about it because um, it's such a large component of my day job. And also, it's a topic that people tend to not want to talk about, which you're being an example of. And, and um, yeah. Okay. We've gone there with other things. We sure. can do Taboo. That's a fun board game. I forget how you play. There's like a buzzer. That's the best part. Oh, when yeah. Someone I don't uses really... one of the words on the yeah, I don't really like. I don't really like buzzer things. It's, that, it's a good game though. We could do a video of us just playing board games. That could be fun because you get mad sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I just want there to be a siren in the board game, and then what do you that mean? That way you can get mad too. Oh yeah. They're just so loud. Are you going to wear the sunglasses the whole time? Yeah, I'm in an Elton John phase. <laughs> and I'm managing my circadian rhythm balance, duh. Uh, oh, because of these lights in here. Yeah. Crocodile rock. <laughs> um. Okay. Do you have anything initially that you want to say about death and dying? Um, because we're all going to die. Yeah, I think nothing matters. I think most people are afraid of dying, and so they don't want to talk about it. One yeah. of our friends is terrified of dying. You mean one of our friends in the room? Yes. Um, I just made lots of <laughs> noises. <laughs> well... Jacob will eventually learn to edit things out. He can just m do some sort of montage, like a commercial break. Well, I have to like drink this as awkwardly as possible. Like, uh, what's his face? That's your thing, I think. We why don't we move this table forward? So, get get. Is that better? I guess. Alrighty. Um. So people are afraid of dying. Are you afraid of dying? Like, why are you not? Why am I not more primed to talk about this? Um, I don't know. Like, what was your first feeling? Like, what was the feeling you got when I brought up the topic? Like, before we started, it was like, eh, I don't want to. <laughs> I want to talk about that. I just I don't I don't feel like I have anything interesting to say about it. I feel like I'm 
somewhat maybe in the middle i feel like an average person when it comes to it like i don't have anything interesting to say Mm. um i mean i think the topic itself is kind of inherently interesting and people's resistance is kind of strange because like we all know that we're all gonna die yeah and like everything is gonna die right so yeah i don't think but that's like a thing we just don't even acknowledge like in your day-to-day life when you're interacting Mm -hmm. with people like maybe you're the exception but like most people with a nine to five mm -hmm. they're not thinking about oh yeah like we're gonna die one day and like living a life that's consistent with the fact that they're gonna die one day right I think most people's exposure is just on the news, right? Rather than like through people they know. Like if if you're talking about day-to-day exposure of death, yeah. I think most people are thinking about it in a context of something that happened somewhere else or to someone else, like on the news, like a violent crime or um a natural disaster, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, I work in a retirement community, and obviously it's... And I'm in, in like, a like a special area that's more supportive care. So, it's not just people who are older, but people who need, um, like, 24-hour care in some way or at least monitoring and um there it's end of life right they'll they'll probably stay there um and a lot of people are on hospice and a lot of people um are just essentially dying from like old age or Mm -hmm. like slower chronic illnesses so we have an average of like one death a week in the building So that's including people that are more independent that live in their own apartments, like the way we do, um, and the people that are in the supportive area. So um, I get a voicemail when someone dies. I listen to that. And um, sometimes I see um, people being taken out of the building, like by the... I guess it's the nursing home where they're going. That's who picks up bodies. Um, Unless they're having an autopsy, which is rare. So. So what's it like to just be that close to death all the time? Like, well, it's, it's interesting because you, you start to see like, the different phases that people transition to, like that your body goes through when you're dying. Um, There is like, there are certain qualifications to be on hospice and usually you're expected to die within six months or something. 
but sometimes people live a long time you you know it's but there are different things that you have to be experiencing to qualify for them um and so there's that usually you can see that decline where somebody maybe is stops eating well or there's just some other progression that you can see while um, they're deteriorating um then there's like actively dying and of course i'm not like medically trained i'm not doing medical things so i'm just sort of like using layman's terms or whatever um and when people are actively dying it's when they have this kind of strange labored breathing and a lot of times they stop eating and drinking and they'll have their eyes closed they're not very responsive and you could be that way for like up to two weeks which is a long time i think but um yeah so once that starts like that's usually a very a good sign that it's like the end is near um and so sometimes we'll like when we know we'll say goodbye to people like we'll talk to them and say goodbye because we assume we we think that you can still hear right that's yeah. the presumption that you that you could still have some comprehension and and sort of um benefit from presence like mm -hmm. so you might say goodbye to people or um sort of reassuring them that it's okay that they're passing away you know it's like yeah kind of um like letting people know because i don't know if there really are people that are holding on that whole concept of like people kind of clinging to life for some reason um yeah so most people are kind of just prepared for it when they get to that point i would say no okay like like it's i think what happens is like as you're aging and your mind is still like you're still like yourself and you're still yeah. you have some certain amount of cognitive function a lot of people seem not ready for it and i don't know if it's because of the generation i'm seeing which are like people that grew up in the depression world war one world war two i don't know if that group has a specific issue with how they prepared for death and dying um or if it's just kind of how we are in general as people or as a culture especially in the u.s um so i think people get anxious about it i think they resist the reality i think people are tend to be really stubborn and not wanting to receive care um like assistance, I mean, because uh, eventually like you're just shutting down kind of slowly in a predictable way. So you may start having issues with continence. You may start having issues with, you know, feeding yourself or tolerating certain foods or whatever. Right. There's all these things that could happen and you just need more and more help. Right. You get to the point where maybe you can't walk or and maybe you're. Um, your affect gets flat like your memory loss is so severe you can't really have conversations or that kind of stuff 
So there's a point where you can't resist because your mind is kind of so, I don't know, out of it in a way. It's just like so different. Um, and that's that's a more of a peaceful phase because mm-hmm. you're just you're like totally present moment and most people are fairly cooperative i think um so how do you think we were intended to die like is that i think people are living too long Mm -hmm. i think they're living past the point of nature like (laughs) um we have you know, equipment and ways of kind of working around problems that these naturally occurring declines. So, so what's an example? Say. So if you get to the point where you can't swallow your food very well, then we yeah. can just put it in a blender and puree it and we can manage your nutrition and keep you alive when you can't feed yourself anymore. So, um, if you're wheelchair bound and you can't bear any weight on your legs, like you, like dementia will create a situation where you forget how to walk essentially. And so if you can't stand or walk, then that means they have to use a lift, like a machine to help transfer you. And so that's something that is a modern, you know, assistive device. So it makes it easier to keep taking care of you longer. But another thing that I've learned is that, um, like, you can still have, like, a good quality of life at the end, which is kind of interesting. It's different, obviously. But, like, people still laugh. People still joke. People Mm -hmm. still... um, can have fun and have new experiences and like learn things and it it can be really fun sometimes um and and some people change from their sort of baseline personality like maybe they were more serious and then they in the end they're like more playful or there's like a part of themselves that comes forward in a different way maybe because they're uninhibited or Um, because their mind is changing um, or because they I don't know it's just like a a totally different context do people tell the same jokes Uh, yeah yeah so people with like cognitive changes or dementia will often loop the same stories and if they're if they do tell jokes, it's the same jokes. And my, so, so my grandfather would tell the same joke, even when he did, when he was like perfectly healthy. Oh, that was just his thing. That was just his thing. Yeah, he had like three jokes that he told. Um. Yeah. So people people will kind of. Yeah, they'll sort of it's a little bit like Groundhog's Day in in some of the like one of the phases as you're declining. What's that like to 
just consistently have that Groundhog Day experience because I think a lot of people haven't really encountered it, but they might someday. Right. And how um, do you manage? Like it, I think initially it's just frustrating. Right. Most people are, it's, yeah. So most, a lot of family or, yeah, like if you're experiencing it with your family member, like it feels frustrating and like, what's the word? Annoying, like kind of annoying and I don't know. Because they keep, they'll like, the person, their judgment starts to decline, right? So they're not making great decisions. And then there's all these consequences. And then I think usually you have to fix it for them. You know, I think that's part of where the frustration is. So like at work, part of the service of, of being in a facility is that you're basically paying people to like smooth things over for you, right? So either like I laugh at the joke every time, you know, mm -hmm. um, or if someone says something or does whatever, you just kind of like smooth over it. And it's, and you're kind of reducing like embarrassment or anxiety or whatever, you know. People will ask for things and then you've got to go like do this big charade to like fix this thing that's a small thing, but it's a big thing to them. And, you know, you just like make it make it happen because they asked for it. So um, it's just a totally different reality. Like it's just totally different than this other outside world. And it's hard to describe that because there's no other place I think that has that. It's not quite like psych ward vibes, um, but it is just different. There's like different needs. The people are, people are start acting differently, you know. Um, what, what have you learned from your experiences with just end of life like how does it change your the way you live your day-to-day -day life mm -hmm. um i think what my observation is that people that are not handling the the end very well it looks like they have this unresolved emotional issues or they have not i don't know if it's specifically about coming to terms with dying i think it's just that at the end when your mind is kind of deteriorating that you don't have any filters and you don't have the ability to reason or i don't think people can like think through things so you're just like raw emotions and if you don't have some kind of like like well-established tools to manage then i think it comes out sideways and 
you know, people start getting paranoid, people start getting aggressive, people start getting just like all these different kind of behaviors. Um, Is it like a lashing out? Is it just not whipped and they don't know what to do? It feels like people are just having these really strong emotional reactions and it's just like raw and, you know, it comes out in different ways, but I think ultimately they're resisting what's happening to them, right? So they're upset because they're not as independent and that was part of their identity is like being this fiercely independent woman or something and and now they need help with everything or they're afraid maybe they, they know they're dying and they're afraid or there are people that want to die and they're not dying as fast as they want to. You know, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, so my feeling is that it's really important when your mind is working clearly, like when you're younger, that you sort through any emotional baggage you have, whether it's like dealing like making peace with someone you don't like like dealing with traumatic experiences and like resolving that inside yeah. yourself like whatever it is thus even if it's small um i think that the people that do well seem to have no like baggage left yeah so this gets into something we were talking about yesterday mm with dealing with depression and you have like an approach to when you're feeling down that you were explaining to me i forgot what i said uh it was about this would be if you have like specific traumas that you can go back to oh my visualization yeah um yeah, do you want to walk through what Do you want me to explain it? Yeah. So I didn't come up with this. This is not a new concept. But um, the idea is that if you have a traumatic event or I don't know what other word to use besides trauma. Maybe that's too strong of a word for some people. But there is something that happened to you at a certain age or um, a period of time that caused you to kind of get emotionally stuck in that time of your life. So um, maybe a common example would be your parents get divorced or someone dies or um, you move or there's some kind of whatever it is, right? Maybe like a breakup, a first breakup thing. Anyways. Whatever it is, you didn't work through it you or you couldn't work through it at the time. So it's like your brain kind of shuts that off and then that part of you stays stuck in that time and doesn't move forward with you as you keep yeah. living. And so there's like a there becomes these parts of you that are like a child and you remain a child in certain aspects. Right. And the idea is that you, in that moment, 
had a certain way that you survived or that you coped. And there is likely an unhealthy or unhelpful habit that you developed. Oh my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was like unnecessarily. I swear they're just trolling us. Um, anyways, so the, the point is that you, you're stuck somewhere inside yourself and you've probably developed a habit and then what you're doing is you're you're continuing this habit that isn't really serving you well or it's a self-destructive behavior or whatever it is right and so what i was telling you is that you can do a visualization where you kind of imagine this safe place internally whether it's like a house or a on the beach or whatever and that you start interacting with these versions of yourself you remember like oh well when i was in middle school this thing happened and i tended to feel this way and then i this is when i started overeating or something right and you can interact with that younger self and you can sort of heal and reassure and like be the good parent and like let them be free from that place that they're stuck. And the idea is that you don't have to keep thinking that way. You're not in middle school anymore. You're an adult yeah. and you can, you can be in charge and let them do what they need to do. Um, going back to the safe place is mm -hmm. I'm thinking <laughs> is that idea for that just that it's somewhere that you can like detach a little easier from or well i think it's where like it's where they live right so you take them out of the environment that they're stuck in so if you like had some sexual abuse trauma in the house you lived in when you were in elementary school yeah like you could imagine that you're technically like stuck in that house or that house is a triggering memory. Sure. And that's what you're going to associate when you remember that part of mm. yourself. So by physically taking them out of it, it's kind of also like a neutral space. I, I think I see interesting. And it's your own constructed space. So it's like, it's like a dream house or, a, you know, like a dream vacation spot or it's it's supposed to be like ultra positive. Yeah. OK, so. Uh, I think you were also mentioning just like having a conversation with it here. It, it seemed like you're saying. I got this, but like having some curiosity around right. it, like when that child emerges because i think when you're stuck it's because there was no adult there to walk you through it and nobody gave you healthy tools otherwise yeah. you wouldn't be stuck so you're sort of like the adult that you wish was there yeah. so you can acknowledge that this was so i see i could see either myself or other people getting in this situation being like, well, I don't have the, I still don't have the tools because I never 
learn that. Like, what's your what's your response? To well, you what you do have is an adult developed brain, mm -hmm. so you also have experience from the point of the incident to now. And I think that a six-year-old is not going to create the same lifestyle and judgment choices as your adult self. Sure. And that's why the habits get sort of distorted, right? I think if you're open to the process of the visualization, I think that you will discover what you need to do. Like you don't have to know the answer in advance. I think that the idea is that as you unravel and, and work through the memory or whatever, that it will present itself. For example, like I think a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people have an issue where they're kind of stuck in a childhood phase, like maybe elementary school or further back. And I think a common side effect of that would be that they, they needed to be more serious in order to manage the situation and maybe it made it hard for them to be more playful, right? We've talked about that before because kids naturally want to play. But if you're, if you have a trauma, then it, I think it kind of can stunt that because you don't feel like safe enough or right. whatever. So as an adult, you could let that child version of yourself play and be free to play. And it's like, you don't have to worry about the mental load of what you had to deal with. Just like go outside and play right in your like imagined version of, the space and then also you as the adult can find a way to integrate play and kind of heal that and rebalance that part of you so it could just be as it could just be being very generic right like kids like to play i remember not playing very well when i was little or whatever i don't know i i tend to I tend to understand those things about myself pretty quickly, but I also realize that not everybody connects well to visualizing something that complex. Yeah, uh, so I think I, I heard something very similar today. Um, it, the exercise was about this, if you have this, emotion and i guess a strong emotion it's to have uh, it's kind of a meditative response a meditative curiosity toward it and ask where's that coming from and so yeah and looking back at your own personal history and like like going back to your childhood what was Maybe it wasn't that, but somewhere along the way, your environment played a role in who you are. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not just like genetic, I'm just this way. And so like, I guess opening yourself up to having 
like, huh, maybe there, maybe there's something about my background, um, and it might help to get, to like, ask people about, oh, well, like, what's something that I'm just glossing over about myself? Mm. Um, so. And I, yeah, I, I think so many things are just rooted in the past, right? We're, we're kind of like automatic pilot about a lot of things. And so if you're actively struggling with something as an adult, that's, it probably means that you got out of balance somewhere in the past. Yeah, I, I think that um, kind of theme keeps cropping up for me when I'm, I'm reading this book right now called Unfuck Yourself. Mm-hmm. and there's this pattern of um, it's really like you're kind of this creature of habit as part of it and some sometimes it's like it's just enough to to change your action like uh, to to realize that you're a creature of habit and that by doing something different you're going to make it easier next time that mm. um, okay like just detach a little bit you're it's fine that you're this way you've you're a creature of habit up until now you're going to continue to be one but if you make this decision now it'll make things easier for you in the future to to make the same decision mm-hmm. so just your neurons are jacked up and, and you it, loosen those connections yeah and I, I think it also maybe helps to think of it like the way, like a physical condition, mm-hmm. you know, like it takes a while to heal from yeah, a trauma or a chronic issue. Yeah, you don't break your arm and then you're like, oh man, my arm should be better by yes. tomorrow. So it's like a mental fracture. It's like you're, you're re-healing a wound depending on how severe it is, it just might take a long time. Um, so I, did you, was there anything else to talk about the visualization? Did we? I think that's good. I think we, we covered it. I think, yeah, I think an ongoing like process that I like to do is, um, you sort of check in with those parts of yourself because I think when they flare up, it's like, oh, well, that's that sounds like a that sounds like what I was stuck in with this part of myself. And instead of self criticism about like for you now or like negative self talk for doing some behavior, whatever it is, you can like flip it and go back to that part of you and just say like what's wrong like the way you would talk to another person yeah and i think that might help people that struggle with all that negative voices sure um i don't really have the negative voices i mean i understand the concept um but i would imagine that might be a way to like redirect your mind um and of course the negative voices are probably coming from a trauma. Like someone taught you how to talk that way. Yeah. Um, anyways, obviously that is hard to do, right? It's just hard to sift through 
your life baggage, right? Um, and to be authentic about it and to do the work. And so back to death and dying, obviously people aren't doing that. And then I think in the end, it all surfaces, whether you want it to or not. And then suddenly you're just really intensely experiencing that. Did I talked to you about people taking acid to um, prepare for death. Yes. Okay. Did we talk about it on show? I think brief. That was one of the earlier okay. one or two episodes, maybe. I don't know if you explained it fully. Um, because we weren't talking about. Yeah, anything. I forget we were talking about something else, mm -hmm. um, like that. Psychedelics were similar to meditation, in, yeah, in this way to like help you detach. Um, yeah. And I really think it was like the coaching aspect. Like they had this controlled environment and, you know, uh, I forget what they call them, guides. Right. Helped prepare them for, for when they were actually going to take the psychedelic. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that's kind of the key part is... They're like, all right, you're going to see some crazy shit. Mm -hmm. Your natural reaction is going to be to resist it. I'm just going to ask you to like lean into it a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, that's, that's really similar to basic meditation. And right. Like you've got, oh man, I've got some stress right now. I don't want to deal with it, but he's, either like detach or lean in or like, mm -hmm. all right, well, here's this thing, bring it on. Let's, let's feel this emotion in full force. I have a theory that um, later generations like us will be really open to that. And that may be really common practice for death and dying. Yeah. You know, you have this like kind of cleansing trip yep. and you sort of finish you just sort of do that. You explore and work through those things. I'm not really sure I know anyone that would willingly do that, that I know is dying, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know if it's the generation or uh, if at some point you, you can't, you just, or if most people don't want to do that. Yeah. It's hard to tell, but yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like our generation would be super open to it. It's like if they haven't done those psychedelics anyway, well, it's like, oh, I've always been curious about it. Now I have an excuse. I, I also think that one thing that might make that more accessible is I think that virtual reality might play a stronger role in end of life care because they're already experimenting with that. How so? Um, so... For example, they're having like, they'll have like a big screen and they'll have kind of like a bike, like a, like an exercise bike. And you'll be able to like ride a bike and like virtually ride it around, like maybe in the neighborhood you grew up in or a place you've always wanted to visit or something. 
So you're kind of able to simulate some experiences that people didn't have time to do or weren't able to do. And I think that could be a way that you can work through that stuff like I was talking about. So if you regret like being too afraid to ever fly on a plane or something, I don't know. Um, well, you can like simulate going to Paris and, and yeah. walking around. I don't know. There's a lot of possibilities. Um, but also, I guess as like technology advances, you could also just create kind of an alternate experience for someone to live in. Like they don't just have a sit in a room with a TV on. Like, who knows? Yeah. They're just, it's, it's just a totally different there's a lot of possibilities i think uh in addition to communication like being able to speak to someone who's far away or what, sure. i don't know sure um i guess one more thing on the topic of mm -hmm. death and dying and mm -hmm. i guess this was more subconsciously something that was going on uh-huh um, it's the topic of euthanasia with it um and I think we're generally averse to talking about it. Mm. And like, where's there's, there's just anecdotally, I've come across old people who are just like, I just, they're like, they'll say things like, I don't want to be here in five years or right. things like that. So, I mean, legally, I think, at least in the state of Washington, you can do death with, with dignity, which is a process where, and I, I don't, I don't totally have all the details. You can Google it, but um, it's a process where I believe you have to have a certain cognitive function level. So you have to be aware to some degree of what you're doing. And then you're prescribed I guess, um, some kind of cocktail of pills that you can take. So you self-administer them. Um, and so you can choose when and where you want to die. So at, is there like a threshold? Like, how do you qualify for this? I, that's what I don't know. But I think you need to like have a terminal condition or you need different things gotcha there's there's some restrictions but um so that's that's a possibility the other possibility that wouldn't necessarily require some sort of um anything extra you always have the option to stop eating and drinking right yeah and that can be slow especially if you're fairly healthy-ish. Um, but you can refuse food and water. Now, my understanding of the law here is like for like we have to legally provide food. Like you have to like make like present it to the person. Like it right. has to be there for them to eat. Um, you don't force feed, right? but you have to make it accessible, but you can refuse to eat it. Yeah. So the, the 
problem is that people's minds decline and then you don't have the wherewithal to manage it. Like you, you can't execute that plan. You forget that you've eaten you, whatever, right? So it's not really viable for people with memory loss or, um, you know, and, and like, it's, it's going to be hard to have that kind of mental endurance right to to like physically do that um so that's why the death with dignity is fast like that's a fast way to do it um so the problem is that there are people in these end stages that want to die they can verbalize they want to die they feel it like they feel like they're ready or they, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they say something like to that effect where it feels like they're ready to die, but they're not dying. And so my understanding is you don't have any option. Like there's nothing, like there's nothing you can do. So I don't know what a possible solution is for that. Like you would need to plan in advance before a decline happened and you would need to um, be willing to do like, I guess like a traditional suicide of some kind. Um. Anticipating that you're, you have like, if you knew you had the beginning stages of Alzheimer's yeah. or something like you'd have to do something fast, like early. So, I mean, at that point, is that something where you could qualify for the dying with dignity? And so why not? Um, well, like I said, I don't know all the rules. Okay. I think you have to be like within six months. It's like a hospice kind of situation. It needs to be a terminal. I see. Okay. Like you're like cancer, you're dying of cancer in stages. So yeah, like it's like it's kind of a yeah, it's just a tough spot to be in because you're healthy. Maybe you're mentally healthy, you're but mentally you, healthy, you but have like stage whatever cancer and it's painful and you want to stop. Right. And you don't you could live a while, but you're going to be in pain every day. Right. So that would qualify. Yeah that kind of circumstance, but not dementia. I mean, you could have dementia for like decades in theory. Sure. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know if there is a good solution because historically people weren't living as long and you couldn't because you didn't have like technology or ways to modify daily life to accommodate someone who is dying, right? Yeah. And people, I don't know, like, I know there's that stereotype of like, indigenous people going into the woods yeah, when they're right. ready to die. Um, I don't know how other cultures, if that's sort of a common way to do it, but um, also the family historically was taking care 
right. of them, it wasn't an institution. So, I mean, in theory, if someone said, I want to die, you could maybe help them and it wouldn't be yeah. an yeah, issue. Yeah, I wonder what the history is. Like how much that. assistance there was with yeah. death and dying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like now everyone is so detached. Like there's just the trope of nursing home it's like you just let your parents go to the nursing home to die and you offload all that responsibility yep you're paying other people to 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 deal with it and Mm -hmm. then because there's that layer of detachment like that you're not there with them you're I guess bias is going to be towards like keeping them alive that may not be there if you were taking care of them every day. Like if something happens and like, you're going to be pissed off if the nursing home lets your parent die before. My, my perspective is that I think families sort of detach or they kind of like, the person is kind of dead already. Like if there's a really severe decline and they're a really different person or whatever, like, so they've kind of like detached or made peace with them. And like, they're, they're like, okay with them dying. It's like, they kind of died a long time ago in a way. Yeah. And I think that the people who get upset and the people that want to stay alive are like the people themselves, the people that are dying. Cause there are some people who are like close to the end ish or, you know, and they're like full code. They're like, which is insane. What's full code? Jacob, will you just Google it just to make sure I know it's where you want all interventions. Okay. I see. So it's like fully resuscitate, take me to the hospital, do everything you can to keep me alive. Right. With someone who... Most people that are at a point... Most people that are at a point of the end and where they're in a facility where they need to be taken care of are going to opt for, like, let me die essentially if something goes wrong um comfort care right so just make me comfortable help take care of me common sense kind of thing like i stop eating they you respect it or whatever it is right so but some people are full code that would just that would mean like the way we would be treated if something happened full intervention so to me that just indicates like why like some it means you're still holding on to something i don't Um, know i I don't know if you have the data like okay with with your experience Uh uh-huh have you seen the people who have like made more peace with things are they the less likely ones to go full code totally yeah okay and they're much happier and they're i think you receive better care because you because it's easy to take care of you yeah. you know it's kind of like in school where 
you know, if you're like really likable and cooperative and the, it's just like easy to teach you, it's easy to like take care of you, it's easy to want to be around you. Right. Um, so people that are more controlling and they're like kind of bossy and aggressive and whatever, they're, they're like demanding good care, but it's hard to take care of them because they're so like whatever picky. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's just another illustration of like, just let it go. Like, just like you have to trust, you can't take care of yourself. You like have to trust people to do it for you. So just, do it like what's the resistance you know mm -hmm. it's like when you're really sick or you i don't know you're in the hospital or whatever like jesus take the wheel like it's just <laughs> like i don't understand the strategy of fighting it because you're not gonna get what you want by forcing it yeah so to me that's like so back to your original question that's really the biggest lesson I, that that affects my daily life. It's like, how can I let it go? Just in general. Yeah. So. Cool. Um, should we? I don't think we'll have time to go through. You have several other topics, and then can I we, have the topic. Can we go back to the topics page? Um, yeah. So I. Um, I have a a lot to say about digital minimalism. That's a book I've been reading. We can um, do some previews of, for f the future. So, uh, oh, of, of the other of topics. Of the topics, yeah. Sure, sure. So, um, online bullying. Well, do your digital minimalism, maybe. Okay. That's um, what you just... Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, just break out digital minimalism, all the topics I want to talk about with it. I don't know. You said you had a lot to talk about. Just like maybe give a summary of what that's going to be. What like, what is it? What are you reading? What's... Is that what I'm overdoing? You know, do you? Okay. I was trying to make it not awkward. But that's what this is. Okay. I mean, I can do my list if you need a minute. No, no. So this is fine. <laughs> I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to spend the next like fifteen to twenty minutes talking about digital minimalism because I had a lot to talk about. I thought you wanted to save it for next time. No. To fully talk about it. I I wanted to save the other topics. For next time. I see. Okay, so the other topics for next time yes. that I suggested was online bullying. So there's a theme. Online bullying, women in video games, people accused of different things in the media, like sh victim shaming and in general. Um, slut shaming specifically, revenge porn. So there's all these different kind of public ways um this is sort of centered around women being the target um 
but yeah, just kind of exploring like I'm curious about your perception of these topics. Yeah. Um and just kind of exploring the idea of what they are and why they're happening and that that it's kind of a modern problem because of technology and the internet. Um and maybe talk about some specific examples. Um, cool. And if there's like a way that it affects us personally, even yeah. though we're not. Because, I mean, <laughs> if people start watching this and we like actually become recognizable in some way, it is possible that we could be caught up in something like this. About our opinions on it and... I mean, people could slander us and throw us into oh. one of these scenarios. Like online shaming. Online Th shaming. There doesn't have to be like a reason. Yeah. Yeah, that's scary. It's totally possible. That's the risk of what we're doing, right? Yep. That's part of. We're out there. The, We're on YouTube. We're public. Don't subscribe. Um, okay, was there anything else to, that you wanted to say about what I those topics? No, I think that's... I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so I think I can give... I can be the lay man on these topics. Yes, and, and I... I we haven't talked about like gender and that kind of stuff in a while. So yeah. it's a, it's something I think is interesting yeah. because we can both speak about it. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so, so digital minimalism. Okay. Um, so I love this book. It's like just spot on. Is uh, Can you just give some more data about what we're talking about? So, minimalism um so living with less is is part of it um, i just mean like what's the book who wrote it sorry um i don't know who wrote it it's the guy who wrote deep work um so if you're a fan of that book i'd recommend either one of those books but i oh yeah digital minimalism i've enjoyed more than deep work Okay, so the actual title is Digital Minimalism Choosing a Focused Life in a Noisy World by Cal Newport. Yep. Okay. So you're not finished yet. Nope. Okay. And I and you think I should read it and then we can talk about it yeah. more specifically. So yep. that's the plan. Yep. Okay. But I've already got plenty that we could so talk what, through right now. What's resonating with you? right now um it's a few things uh, i like it, it goes it bashes social media pretty hard okay um so in particular facebook it goes in mm. about the creation of the like button mm. and it really facebook wasn't that um toxic before the like button mm. um, that it was just keeping in touch with people but then like it creates this sort of drug fix of like what do other people think about me mm. and um 
there was just like before it was more authentic connections with these people that you know you were classmates with right back when it was just for college um and now it's about like are people paying attention to me or it's just this mm -hmm. um, and, and that it's these other addictive aspects to it so i can't remember if the book does it probably talks about how facebook has hired people that work at like casinos and just mm. the psychology of making an addictive product and that's, so maybe not explicitly that they're like you know there's not the like vp of addictive things but basically they have they have, <laughs> they have a role in the company and they have a background and so they're going to bring that influence it's just like extreme marketing yeah so it, it's it's manipulation and mm -hmm. in these ways that and i mean also they're a business they want to make money and they want, in order to make more money, they encourage you to stay on the platform longer. So that whatever it takes to do that. Can I say something? Yeah. So I've heard that, I've heard a, a sort of a point of view that one reason why Facebook is uh, kind of doing such manipulative things is obviously they want you to see the ads, right? Because that's how they're, yeah, right. That's part of the revenue, and that maybe that could be mitigated if it wasn't free. You know, if it was a paid, just sure. like however many dollars a month platform, then you wouldn't need that kind of manipulation. And I think that could mitigate some of the. Oh yeah, I'm I'm pretty anti, um, anti advertising or like anti-ads i think it's that's actually um speaking about our podcast i i don't want us to do ads on youtube um for that reason like i feel like it is a waste of everyone's resources like the amount like think about the amount of money that we would make versus how much time it's consuming of one of our watchers it's like whatever a 30 second ad and then it i forget what the conversions are it's pretty bad i think it's like you could make a thousand dollars per ad view or something like or for every thousand ad views you get a dollar is it really yeah so then you thinking utilitarian about it 30 second ad times a thousand so that's 500 300 minutes. million what yeah <laughs> 500 minutes okay that's a lot of time for just a dollar that we've wasted of other people's time for just a dollar because we can waste people's time in other ways yeah by just listening to this so anyway <laughs> okay donate <laughs> 
we're saving these. I didn't. And, I and, thought and we so were. That's why. I, like. <laughs> that's why I pay for things. I feel like I shouldn't give. I pay for a music provider. Maybe we'll get a a sponsorship from Devers. Anyway. Okay. I, I I don't like ads, so I don't. So I would rather if there were an option, I would. Okay. I'm inclined to pay for the option instead of. What about sponsorships, where people like within the video talk about a product, um, and sort of integrate it? I think it depends on how authentic it is. I think no matter what, you can't. It you always, like can't avoid that. It feels forced, selling. usually. I think it depends. Yeah. If it's like, um, like we, could, I, I don't know what I, my policy would be on that for us. Like if HelloFresh wanted us to cook a yeah. meal. Um, I don't use HelloFresh, so I don't know if I would. I would take up if they gave us free, a free sample. I might try it. Yeah, they would send it to us, and yeah. we would advertise it by doing it. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, would we talk about that versus something else that's more salient? That That's the idea. Yeah. Uh, I don't like it. <laughs> but I think if there were something that we had already talked about. Like Headspace? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would support talking about that. But they don't care about supporting us, maybe. Maybe. I mean, we might hit a demographic. We talk about meditation a good bit. Yeah. Um, like, we've already curated a list of yeah. viewership. Yeah. People who listen to us talk about meditation for at least a couple seconds every And episode. mindfulness, because yeah. it's it's i feel like headspace is more than just meditation sure like there's so many applications for it um so yeah that's that's a bridge we're gonna have to cross maybe yep and um we could always sell merchandise people love merchandise oh yeah if we have swag we (laughs) that's something we could I think we could definitely do that. That's like um, kind of a loophole, right? That's like a a way to. Yeah, I, I kind of view it as the day the day someone wants to donate, we'll put a link to a PayPal and a Patreon or something. I heard the... people had issues with Patreon. Really? There's I, I don't know what the drama is, but I don't know what they were doing. We'll, we'll uh, investigate. Yeah. And if people want swag, we can figure it out. Yeah. I figure at that point, we'll have enough viewership that, like, people will we'll have, like, artists who follow us and want to, like, drum up designs. Well, people will request something, probably. Yeah. So we'll cross that bridge when we get there. We've got a lot of bridges to cross. We do. There's also, the seven bridges of Koenigsberg. <laughs> One bring up the seven bridges. Google will fill in the the rest. It's like a problem boiler solved. Bridges of 
Is it not auto play? Yeah, that's. Yeah. This is such a bad thing. Okay, well, now <laughs> we. Graph theory. Have transcended reality. Um, are we going to talk about math at no, some point? <laughs> I was just diverting us. Okay. Well. All right, we, let's go back a couple layers. All right. Sorry for distraction. Digital minimalism. Which we did not just illustrate. We we were just going oh, into totally. a wormhole. Our mind was wandering. So I think there's some mindfulness aspects sure. to it. Um, let's see. He talks a decent amount. It, it's like our digital world is all about like these micro hits of dopamine mm -hmm. that we get from using technology and it's like it's not super addictive it's just like like the hit's not that strong that's like oh that felt kind of good right and you and so it's not like when someone would binge drink or like have a drug problem where it's like a really strong sure reaction like but it's like it's a more involved thing this is more like a death by a thousand cuts yes um and, and you see that with like um, one of the things is you can just check how often your phone get like how many times you check your phone mm -hmm. there's apps to do that and i think it's built in on your iphone um and so even I think that's average might be like 39 or 40 mm. checks a day which actually seems now that to me that seems low I think on for me on weekends it's probably like 80 there's mm. just this compulsive checking that you get yeah I think I'm, I'm concerned about like screen time in general yeah and also um the fact that people can't like sit still alone yes yeah that's a thing it gets it gets into all that it's really good um yeah so screen time uh mentions it might be the same app but the average for people who use this app, it's like three hours a day of screen time on their just their cell phone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's people who have the app. So there's probably some bias toward like, oh, these people actually want to monitor their screen time and reduce it. So it's probably worse than three hours a day for the typical American. Yes. Um, what was the other thing you were saying about being alone? Uh, yeah, they got in, started talking about the default network mm -hmm. in this. And actually, it was they were talking about it in a positive way. Um, in that it's, it's the part of your brain that goes when you're not like doing anything, when you're just sitting alone. Um, it's like the mind wandering aspect but it like basically people are um yeah afraid of being alone and so they have this continuous 
stimulus. What and, what is it about that? I I tended to not have a problem with that. Like I've been okay being alone and more introverted, so I I feel like that time is more productive for me. It's like restorative. Yeah. But um what what is that aversion? Um is it worrying about people how people are perceiving you? Or is it really like an internal feeling, like a discomfort? I think it's just like a discomfort that like goes away if you just sit with it a little while. It does. And the pain of resisting it is so much worse. Right. right. Which is the paradox. You just wait a few seconds and then yep. it's like, oh, okay. Well, then your mind wanders onto something else or you mind starts thinking about something more productive. So um, there was a, a term for that that they mentioned. But yeah, mm -hmm. it was basically um, like starving yourself of alone time um, and the importance of alone time and mm -hmm. that you can, that it's good for your brain to have some time to just chill out. And now we live in a world where you really don't have to do that. Um, mm. They mentioned when the iPod first came out, that became the first time where you could really just completely be connected the whole, your entire life, really. It's like, like the mobility. Yeah, and you can walk around, you've got uh, headphones in, but like up before that point, there were just times when you had to talk to someone or had to like. Mm. Yeah. So like every transition can be occupied. Yeah. Every experience, every moment could be accounted for with like an activity essentially. Yep. Mm hmm. You really have to like allocate time and you have to build in that time now. Yeah. It's not naturally there. Yeah, so I, um, I was hanging out with a friend maybe six months, a year ago, and we were talking, and he, like, made a point, of, like, you know, I don't get to carve out time to just, like, listen to music, but he, like, started doing that, and he loved it. Mm -hmm. And sometime this past weekend, I just, like, oh, yeah, I went to uh, this Italian place, and they had some, like, really good they were playing like louis armstrong and mm -hmm. ella fitzgerald and i was like totally digging it and then just came back and like put that on and it mm -hmm. was great i just chilled out for like an hour and a half yes and did nothing else but listen to music but i think the suggestion is actually take that one step further and like don't even don't listen to anything uh, but but what I've noticed is like with listening to music, there's always something else happening. It's like I'm working or I'm yes. commuting and there's like just like stimulus overload. So it felt good to just do one thing. I think multitasking is a real problem. I, yeah. I'm not good at it. It really like cuts down on my performance quality. Like yeah. I can't do it very well, but. Was there anything else? Bob? 
about the book that you um, wanted to say today yeah i mean i just really enjoyed it um i don't i guess next time we can i'll finish it and then you'll i don't know what whenever a few podcasts from now or however it works out we should talk about it because there's just a lot to go into it feels just spot on about everything so definitely um, yeah i think that is there that anything else you wanted to say I think that wraps it up for this. Okay. This one. Uh, leave comments. We'd but love to hear from you. Not negative ones. Oh, definitely not. No. Because we, we, I don't feel like we're. Are we're we emotionally sensitive. stable enough? Yeah. <laughs> for negative comments. No, we need to do to visit our previous selves. Be ready for negative. Yeah. Comments. Don't create new trauma by. Uh, yeah. Sh- internet shaming us. All right. That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. <laughs> and Great. we'll leave you with a... Great. <laughs> exactly I what we talked about. We'll do it live.